0: Lord, I, I'm just I'm thankful I was reminded as we worship that there are still so many people who believe in Jesus, still so many who simply accept the truth that you present. Lord, you said it by grace. You are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God that no one can boast. So we even come to you tonight in simplicity and purity, Lord. Purity of devotion to Jesus. With open hearts, open minds, just wanting to hear the truth. Increase our faith. And may we learn what it really means to live lives that are pleasing to you. And Holy Spirit, we're listening. We ask you to teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good evening, from one absolutely insane week to another, welcome. We are in Genesis chapter 5, we're just going to walk through this chapter, verse by verse as we tend to do, especially on our midweek times, and I am thrilled that you're here. I really am, because this is good stuff. Genesis chapter 5, verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. So we're now in the second Toldot. Remember we talked about this when we opened up Genesis. There are 11 Toldotes in Genesis. There's a 12th Toldot. But the 11 in Genesis, a Toldot is, the word is translated generation or generations and it literally means the what became of. So this reads, this is the book of what became of Adam. The Toldot of Adam. You go back to chapter 2, verse 4, we read that this is what became of. This is the toldote of the heavens and the earth when they were created. So, the record, if you will, the what became of. And then again here, this is the toldote of Adam. So, these are the first two. There are nine more in Genesis. And then there's one more toldote in the scriptures that shows up in Matthew chapter 1, where it reads that this is the book of the generations of Jesus Christ. And it's cool how that kind of rounds out the toldotes in the Bible. In chapter 4, which we went through over the last week, Sunday and, and Wednesday of last week, we read about, we studied the family tree of Cain. You might notice, curiously, that the family tree of Cain is not listed as a toldote. We don't have a what became of Cain or his line, because that lineage ultimately came to nothing. That lineage would ultimately evaporate. Now we know there are hints of godliness in that line. There are some things we looked at Sunday. Interesting that perhaps there was some faith among some people. That's always the case. In the most messed up, dysfunctional of families, you can usually find someone who believes in Jesus. Oftentimes in the most messed up, dysfunctional of families, you find someone who has to believe in Jesus. (laughs) No other way to get by. But it's a a difficult lineage. With these hints of godliness, we saw the name Mahujael in chapter 4, which means God makes me live. or, Or it means who proclaims God. Or it can also mean smitten of God. Well, that's a little different. How does that work? You need to understand that names are wonky things. The names in the Bible or anywhere else are usually not the exact translation of a word, especially if there's another word that becomes a name. And in the Hebrew, it's no different. There are a lot of compound words put together to express a name, to express a thought or idea that the father has when he names the son. You'll see that tonight. So Mahujael may mean God makes me live, or it may mean smitten of God. Either way, that's very interesting to me, because smitten of God, if that's the actual meaning of Mahujael in chapter 4, and by the way, that's verse 18, that's interesting because it rings of another prophecy. That even though smitten of God, listen to this, Isaiah 53, verse 4, Surely our griefs He Himself bore, and our sorrows He, Jesus, carried Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. So even those who feel like, oh, God's against me, God's not for me, the reality is Jesus became the smitten of God for you. Because of God's great love for you, God is not against you. God does not stand opposed to the vilest sinner he wants to save. That's the work that he's about. That is what he's up to. But Mahushael, whatever his name ultimately meant, he went on to name his son Methushael, which means man of God. So he had some recognition of Elohim. And there's a likelihood that someone broke away from that tree, the, at least the way of Cain, someone, some ones, maybe more than one person along that line, did have faith, did follow after the Lord, but the way of Cain went downhill fast. It would end in the flood, and there would be no more record of Cain. But tonight we consider the toldote of Adam. What became of his lineage? If you look back at chapter 4, verse 25, which is really a place where this could begin, Adam had relations with his wife again. and She gave birth to a son and named him Sheth. For she said, God has appointed me an offspring in the place of Abel. For Cain killed him. To Sheph, to him also, a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Or I told you Sunday, it may also read, then men began to call, or be called by the name of the Lord. I don't know if they would be Yahwehites, or Elohimites, or Elohimians. (laughs) But they began to to wear the name, to to own that name. And we see this begin to emerge in the line of Sheph, the third son of Adam and Chava, Adam and Eve. And in the shade of this fruitful tree tonight, we're going to meet a man whose name means praises to God, or the blessed God. We'll meet another man who is so dedicated, he walked with God and just kept right on going. We'll meet the oldest man to ever live. And tonight... We will read of a man listed among the three most righteous men in all of the Bible, aside from Jesus himself. Do you know who those three are? Anyone? Daniel, Noah, and and Job. Job, Daniel, and Noah. Three names to know of people who were declared by God to be righteous men. Ezekiel 14, verse 13, Son of man, if a country sins against me by committing unfaithfulness and I stretch out my hand against it, destroy its supply of bread, send famine against it, and cut off from it both man and beast, and that should make America shudder if a country sins against me. But Ezekiel 14, 14 continues, Even though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in its midst... By their own righteousness, they could only deliver themselves. That's something to say. These three men were righteous men. Even were they to be standing in America, however, guess what? If this country isn't faithful to God, even these three could not save it. Well, when Ezekiel heard that, it wasn't just a spiritual statement. It was an historical truth that Noah and Daniel and Job were righteous men and we, and we will end tonight with Noah at the very end of this 10 generation family tree of Adam, this, this told oat. By the time we get to Noah, 10 generations down, the world is down to eight people who believe. Now think about that. Because this is a good line. This is the line that begins with Sheth and, and Enosh, and these are guys who are calling upon the name of the Lord. There's faith, there's trust. There is righteousness to be found here. But by the time we get to Noah, it's Noah and his sons and their wives and Mrs. Noah. And that's it in the entire world. And by the way, I'll show you this when we get there. But there are estimates if you just follow the lineage and how many children they could have across the lineage and the age of these, just these listed here. That at the time of the flood, there could have been 7 billion people on earth. We'll talk about that when we get closer to it. What I'm saying here, though, is for all the fruitful good in this line, when we pan out what we realize, what we actually see, if we were to get in, say, the Goodyear blimp and fly over Genesis chapter 5, we would see a graveyard. For the first time, we hear this chilling phrase spoken over and over and over, and he died. And he died. Now, the Lord God had told Adam, Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. I'll show you how that is literal in a bit. But even in a good, godly family, think about this who can count the rings of sin in the tree? Not hard to find. Do you think that Adam and Eve, living out long days by the grace of God, had any idea the entire history of the generations of humanity would be so affected? See, when you say, when I say, my sin doesn't impact anyone else, it just impacts me. Wrong. Wrong. No one sins in a vacuum. For one thing, it's kind of hard to get in there. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> No one is alone in their sin choices when you do wrong, when you do what is unrighteous. And by the way, in, in this church family, you might think, well, I'm just sitting over here. That's not going to affect my church. Wrong. Wrong. Sin has a ripple effect that impacts. And no one knows that better than Adam when he looked out across generations and realized, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. And he died. Therefore, Romans chapter 5, verse 12, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. So that's important to understand that Adam sinned, death entered the world, and the impact, the result of Adam's sin is death. So now death is a thing, and death affects everyone, and straight down this line, you've got all of these people who, and he died. Because of one man's sin. No. Because all sinned. As Paul would say in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That We sinned. We all have. We all will. We don't have to. In Jesus, you don't have to, but sin impacts everybody because everybody sins. The graveyard is dark and and it is dismal. But you know what Yahweh does? He is a God who brings blessing in the midst of a curse. We saw that in the garden, right? As He began to lay out the curses because of the fall of Adam and Chava, He laid out these curses and in the midst of the curses, the gospel for the first time. The proto-evangelicum we called it. That the woman would... Her seed would, would come and would be a savior, in essence. And we see that, and God's already embedding blessing where there should be curse. Well, guess what? He declares the gospel in the graveyard. So, as we're moving among the tombs tonight, as we're going from headstone to headstone, listen closely because God will declare the very hope of. Of eternal life, right here. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. I still love to remember that. He created the male and female, and he blessed them and named them man in the day when they were created. He named them man. He named them Adam. Note that it's really interesting. Language in the Hebrew. He named them Adam. It doesn't say he named them Adam and Esha, or Adam and Eve, or Adam and Hava. He named them Adam, man. The name Adam means, it's translated man, but it's literally red, as in red dirt, as in the dirt of the earth, as in that which we have been made from. But I really, really like this verse that He blessed them and He named them man in the day when they were created. Now my sisters might say, well, of course you like that verse. Man. But I happen to be a woman and I don't like that I as a woman am named man. In fact, there are those who want to get woman taken off the scene because it's got man in it. Or humanity. Or mankind. It's chauvinistic. It's arrogant, it's bigoted against all women, it's an affront to womankind, or woe <laughs> Take out the man. Well, can I speak to that just for a moment, just with all honesty and love and respect for every single one of you ladies here tonight? God named them man. Do you know what that means? It, it's a reminder of the oneness factor of male and female. It's a reminder that we're created together. It's it's a rejection, honestly, that man is up here and woman is down here. That woman is distinct from man. No, He named them man. All together. One. One name for everybody. One name for humanity. It's that Akkad in Hebrew, the the one, that plurality of oneness, that you have male and female, and God says, yeah, that's man. They're my man. Because being a woman or being a man, yes, there are distinctions in the sexes, absolutely, and we've talked about that, male and female, He created them, and yet there is that comparable equality of men and women together, created by God, in the likeness of God. Men and women. Even though Hava came along and was bone of his bones and flesh of his flesh, Eve was not created in the likeness of Adam. Eve was created in the likeness of God. Sisters, you were not created after the pattern of a man. Praise God. You were created in the likeness of God. And that's why, my personal opinion, it is not sexist to call men and women man or mankind. It's just the opposite. Because together we make up what God called man. Isn't that great? Doesn't that sound better than all the other stuff? Verse three. Verse three, when Adam had lived one hundred and thirty years, he became the father of a son in his own likeness according to his image, and named him Shep. Well there's, that's interesting. So Shep is in the likeness of Adam. Adam's in the likeness of God. Then the days of Adam after he became the father of Sheph were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. This is another phrase that you're going to see multiple times in this chapter. Along with, and he died, we see other sons and daughters. So it's good to know that at least every generation is beginning now to follow the Adamic covenant. The covenant of God with Adam, be fruitful and multiply. Well, now they are. Now they are. They're having sons and daughters, right and left. We get ten names. That does not mean ten people were birthed between here and the end of the chapter. Even ten generations. There are those who have made the case. There's more than ten generations. These are the ten God wanted us to sit up and pay attention to. But in biblical genealogies, oftentimes there's more. So there may be... I, I'm, I'm not worried about that. I'm not concerned. Well, were there more? Or is it only the ten? I'm not going to be legalistic. I just find that these 10 are the ones that God wanted us to hear. These are the ones that he wanted us to pay attention to. And if there were only 10 generations from Adam to Noah, which is the most simple way to view it, and I do, cool. If there were other generations in there, that doesn't bother me at all. God's telling us exactly what is necessary and what is necessary is stunning here. Note this, just as Adam and Hava were created in the likeness of God, the lineage of likeness continues. So the reason why Sheph is now in the likeness of Adam is because Adam is in the likeness of God. So parents understand that, that your children will take after you. And it reminds me of the Apostle Paul saying, follow my example as I follow Christ. I'll follow him, you follow me as I follow him. I'm in his likeness, be in my likeness, as long as I am functioning in the likeness of God. If I'm not functioning in the likeness of God, please, be someone else.
1: <laughs>
0: but that's what is on us as parents to walk out faith before children as Adam did before Shef, and Shef now is following along. Shef's name means appointed, which is why back in, in verse 25 of chapter 4, Eve said, God has appointed me an offspring in the place of Abel. That's why she named him Shep. Appointed. It also can be translated compensation, which is actually right on. We lost Abel because of Cain's murderous rage. So God compensated by bringing Shep. By providing another. Understand when you lose Those who are dear to you, when you lose things that are of great importance to you, God is a great compensator. It's not God's desire for you to be gutted or empty or alone. He will provide that compensation. I've seen this in, in the church and it's fascinating to me. I've seen those who have been literally ostracized from their family feeling like they're without brothers and sisters or mother and father, because now they're following Jesus and their family thinks that's weird. And you know what God does? He compensates with a whole new family. (laughs) And I've talked to friends of mine that would say this and and I would agree. And I love my extended family. Please understand. I love my mom and dad. I love my brother. I love my in-laws. I love the, the family that extends out from us. But I am in many ways closer to my spiritual family. And that's a good thing, because God, God compensates. Now I, I, I'm not coming from a place of loss, but I'm, I'm just making the, the point here. God brings a compensation even for loss. So Abel is lost, but Sheph is the compensation. He's the appointed one. Not only appointed by God, but also among those, those who called on God, who called on the name of the Lord, Yahweh. Verse 5, so all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Do you realize that Adam was alive almost to the time of Noah if you just follow this lineage? How could... 930 years! Come on! That's got to be one of those Bible myths, right? I don't think so. In fact, science has shown if we actually lived in the perfect conditions of of an earth with a water canopy and the rays of the sun were were blocked or, or were diluted greatly... If we didn't have Twinkies and Pop-Tarts, we didn't have Coke, if we didn't have all of the preservatives and all the stuff, there's so much in the world that kills us. All the cancers that we deal with, so much that kills us. We don't even know as we're spreading the margarine what's really happening there. Think about being in the beginning where it was all organic. We're so proud. Oh, I bought organic today. Isn't that amazing? When when organic first came out, the, the grocery stores were like, well, that's dumb. That's a, Just let them buy it. Yeah, that's cheap. It's got spots all over it. Now people are paying more for the spots.
1: <laughs>
0: anyway, organic and fresh and new and, and, and the rays of the sun, which is probably the number one killer of humanity, is those UV rays that come shooting into the earth and just kill us. <laughs> but even for all that, I mean, to to live back then, yeah, life would have easily extended on and on and they had the grace of God and and God's desire that they live and that they are fruitful and they fill the earth. So they did. But what's interesting is at the end of verse 5 it says that Adam lived 930 years and he died, which is just as the Lord God had clearly warned. And he died. God said he would die. He said in the day that he ate of it, he would die. Hold your horses there. Just understand big picture for now. He would die. If you eat of this tree, you will die. And Adam died. And so that is confirmation, Numbers 23, 19, that God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should repent. Has God said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? If he says it, he's going to do it. Guaranteed, which makes this a phenomenal book, because every single promise he makes in this book, he will follow through on. That includes his promises to Israel. That includes his promises to anyone who, who just puts simple faith in Jesus. It includes his promises that you have heard and you have believed. He will. He has to follow through. It's one of those things that God can't. Not do. Double negative. i got to be sure I'm saying the right thing there. Yeah, he can't not follow through. He has to follow through. He has to be faithful. Because faithfulness is his nature. And Adam died. Because God said that's what would happen. He must keep his word. So Adam ate of the tree and Adam died. Verse 6, Seth or Sheph lived 105 years and became the father of Enosh. Verse 6, and Seth lived 807 years after he became the father of Enosh, and he had other sons and daughters, so all the days of Sheph were 912 years, and he died. Gravestone number two there, or three actually. Well, yeah, Adam, Sheph, Sheph died. Yeah, so two. We'll get to three. It's, it's right around the corner, just beyond that spooky-looking elm tree. It's interesting to me that Sheph named his son Enosh because Enosh in the Hebrew means mortal. So it didn't take long for them to get it. I wonder, I wonder with Adam when he was 927 years old if he began to think, maybe, maybe I skirted the curse. Maybe I will not. (coughs) Anyway. Mortal is the name of Enosh. And by the birth of Enosh, though Adam was still living at the time, mortality had already set in. There are others not listed here who we can assume had been dying. Death was a thing. Wait, you're saying someone may have died before Adam? Yeah. Absolutely. Abel did. Do you realize Abel would not have been able to die if Adam Adam hadn't sinned? That that death never would have taken place? But because one man sinned, death entered the world and and death came to all people because all sinned. Again, as Paul said. Well, the garden was given up for the graveyard. But along with mortality, again, came calling because back in verse 26 of chapter 4, to Sheph, a son was born and he named him Enosh. And then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. So Sheph had a a kid and went, Wow, I need church. It happens that way often. People will be rabid heathens, and then they have a little baby and go, we got to do something with this kid. Sunday school. And it's too much of a hassle to drive out to the church, drop off, and go somewhere else, so you end up waiting, and next thing you know, you get saved. So Enosh, he comes along as the son of Sheth, and now they're beginning to call upon the name of the Lord. Why? Because our, our mortality, you know, here's a, a weird thought. Death is not a bad thing if it causes you to call out to God. Not a bad thing. Our mortality does that. It causes us to cry out to Creator God. It causes those who are believers in Jesus, it causes them to press in. To get closer to Him. Those who are not, it, it freaks them out, and that's not a bad thing. I, every memorial, every funeral I've ever done has involved non-believing people whose numb lives have been shattered by the reality of death. God allows death to happen. Why? Because death is a teacher. Mortality is a teacher for us. And what it says to the believer, 1 Corinthians 15.53, is this perishable must put on the imperishable this mortal man must put on immortality but when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality then will come about the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory hallelujah amen death is going to die but not yet we're still in the graveyard verse 9 Enosh lived 90 years and he became the father of Kenan. And then Enosh lived 815 years after he became the father of Kenan and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years and he died. So he gave birth. He didn't give birth. His wife did. But he fathered Kenan. Kenan. The name Kenan. And and jot these down. Keep track of these. Adam means man. Man. Enosh, or or Chef, means appointed. Uh, Enosh means mortal. Now we come to Kinnon. Uh, Kinnon means networked. Uh, He was one of the earliest programmers, I think, that he came along. Networked. But the word, and think about this, it's like the strands of a nest. Kenan, networked like the strands of a nest. That's kind of the word picture that comes along with, with the Hebrew word kenan, but here's one of those words that has a dual meaning to it networked like a nest and sorrowful. Sorrowful. I thought about that today and thought, what is that? What is man but an interconnected network of sorrowful mortality? That is what we are without hope, without Jesus, without God. And my family, by the way, has been walking that out this week. Many of you know that. Cheryl had to single-handedly organize and run a memorial service for her sister on Monday. I can't even imagine how she had... Well, I know how she had the strength. Jesus was with her all week long. But we have walked out this issue of mortality. We have walked out the sorrow. The difference for Cheryl and for me is that we know death is swallowed up in victory. So though there's a network of sorrow and pain that happens and it comes to every life and everyone, believer or non-believer alike, we know that death has no hold. We know that there is hope beyond the grave. Verse 12, Kenan lived 70 years and he became the father of Mahalalel, which I think may be the first Hawaiian in the Bible. (laughs) (laughs) Mahalalel. His name means the blessed God. Or the praised God wouldn't that be a cool name to walk around with what's his name praise the Lord ok but what's his name praise the Lord yeah but, but what's his name praise the Lord <laughs> and that was what Mahalalel's name meant verse 13 then Kenan lived 840 years after he became the father of Mahalalel, and he had other sons and daughters so all the days of Kenan were 910 years and he died Mahalalel lived 65 years. He became the father of Jared. And then Mahalalel lived 830 years after he became the father of Jared, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. So Mahalalel now has a son named Jared. When you see a J, typically in the Hebrew, it's a Y sound, so it's Yered is the name. And Yared means one descends. To descend or to come down. And so far as we're seeing here, it is headstone after headstone after headstone, descending down the lineage of man in a churchyard of the dead. Encouraged yet? Verse 18. Jared lived 162 years and he became the father of... Enoch and then Jared lived 800 years after he became the father of Enoch and he had other sons and daughters so all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died so again row after row slab after slab and suddenly as we're walking these rows and we're reading the tombstones and seeing the epitaphs something changes we come to the end of the row and there's no headstone where there should be one we Well, we know Enoch was here. Has anybody seen Enoch? But what's going on here? Ten generations in Genesis chapter 5, and there are only nine tombstones in the graveyard. No marker for Enoch. His monument of remembrance is God's Word. We know about Enoch because the Word of God declares the righteousness of this man. And the promise of a hope beyond the grave, Hanok, Enoch, as we would say it, means dedicated. This is a dedicated man, and his name means just that. And verse 21 tells us, Hanok lived 65 years and he became the father of Methuselah, and then Hanok walked with God. 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Hanak were 365 years. Hanak walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Which is one of the coolest verses in the Bible. They're just out walking one damn and- Gone. I-, I wonder, what was his wife thinking? Hanok, Dinner! Kids, go get Hanok. He's not in the field, Mom. Was he out walking with God again? Yep, well, put his plate away. (laughs) I wonder how many times Enoch went walking with God and didn't come home for days. Enoch walked with God. Listen, the bright and shining hope of the rapture of the church arrives very early in the Word of God. Enoch is the first man to be caught up and just go home with Jesus. Enoch did not die. Elijah would go up in a chariot. That's how I want to go. I think it'd be really cool on a Wednesday night if a chariot just blew in here, I jump on later.
1: It's
0: not gonna happen. But turning your Bibles for a moment over to Hebrews chapter eleven. Hebrews chapter eleven. Because we gotta consider this man a little bit further. He's talked about more than once in Scripture, in the New Testament. The New Testament writers understood something very unique, very special about Enoch. Hebrews chapter 11, and I'll pick it up in verse 5. While you're turning there, Hebrews 11 is often being called the great hall of faith. The Hebrew pastor just lists out person after person after person and their example of great faith in God. And some of these words or names are a little stirring. I don't have time to go into them tonight, but I suggest you study through Hebrews 11 and consider what kind of people are called faithful. Because they're not that different from you and me. Just your average Joes and Marys out there living life but faithful to God. So verse 5 of Hebrews 11 says, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God took him up, for he had obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. First man raptured. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 The Lord Himself would descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so we shall always be with the Lord. No, I never get tired of reading that verse. It never wearies me to go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 or, or 1 Corinthians 15.52 in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. And in the case of my grandson Ethan, that's a good thing. I told Hannah today, he must be changed. <laughs> so, 1 Thessalonians, that this idea of being caught up. To be caught up is to, is to be raptuse in the Latin, right? Harpazo in the Greek. It simply means when it says, caught up. It's a fantastic, wonderful, engaging, stunning verse that there's just no way to get around. It doesn't say God's going to come down and meet us here. It says we will be caught up to meet Him in the clouds. There are other verses that say Jesus is going to come down and set foot on the earth. And we went through all this in the Revelation study. But the catching up, the rapture, this is a unique event that happens for all those who have faith in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus Christ at the time of His calling, you're going up just like Enoch. And if you died in Christ, guess what? You go up before everybody else. So either way, it's a really good deal. Almost makes you want to die right before the rapture just so you can be there first. You know, seconds before. (laughs) Rapture! (laughs) Ha ha! By faith, Enoch was taken up. That word taken up, interesting in Hebrews 11.5, is not raptus, it's not harpazo, it's a different word, and it's metatithomai, and it means two things, it means translated, as in translating a language, so now we're going to translate Hebrew to English, so we're going to translate the mortal to immortality. It also can mean transposed, like you transpose music. But either way, it's a beautiful picture of, of people caught up, now answer me this. Why will Christians, dead and alive, be caught up? Is it because we're so righteous? Anyone want to throw in for that one? The Christians are just better than everybody else. We know the secret. we good people. We just have bad English.
1: <laughs>
0: Not we, We're good. But anyway. Why? Why? Why was Enoch taken up? He's the example. He's the reason anybody gets taken up. And listen, verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Verse 5 again, by faith, Enoch was taken up. What is the difference between a believer in Jesus and an unbeliever? Faith! that is it it's not less sin although hopefully as you're following Jesus you're being sanctified sin is less interesting to you we're still going to trip we're still going to sin we're still going to fail at things but it's faith by faith we're caught up and that doesn't make me better than the non-believer it just means I believe in Jesus I trust Him when I talk to a non-believing person that's that's the issue it's not become like me you don't want to be like me because you'd just be as messed up as you are right now You want to trust Him. And by trusting in Jesus, caught up. By faith in Jesus, Enoch just kept going on with... I mean, God, they're having this conversation. I've described this before. I don't know what it looked like. I don't know if they were walking uphill. And they got to the top of the hill. And God said, you know, it's late. And Enoch said, yeah, it's a long way back to the house. And God said, well, why don't you come on home with me? And they just kept walking right on up to heaven. Why would God do that? Because Enoch had faith in God, and without faith, it's impossible to please Him. So, how do you please God? Faith. What does that look like? Romans chapter eight, verse eight says, "Those who are in the flesh cannot please God." I'm not talking about you being in your human skin that you can't be pleasing God. It means if you live by the flesh. If flesh is all you're about, pleasing the flesh and, and the enjoyments of the flesh and focus on the flesh and, and all the intuition and instincts of the flesh, man, if you want to live that way, you can, but you cannot please God. And Paul says to you believers, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But anyone, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So you trust Jesus. He comes and makes His home in you so that one day you're just going to go home with Him. It's it's a very simple process. But what we've learned already just a few chapters in, we've already discovered by Genesis chapter 5 that you cannot please God by the sweat of the brow. That was the result of the curse. By the sweat of your brow you're going to work hard. It'll never please God the Lord for me to be heavy duty in my labor I I can't catch myself up it's never about the bootstraps it's about the belief it's not about the toil it's about the trust it is not about your personal best it's about being pleasing to God let's I have this conversation an awful lot. We keep talking about faith. He's going to talk about faith in, in, in short order here. Not tonight. Sunday, Wednesday. And you need to hear. We've all got to grasp this, this concept and what this is about. What, let me ask you the question rhetorically. Listen, think it through. Don't shout it out because I don't want anybody to be wrong. <laughs> what was the evidence of Enoch's faith? See, you you shouted it out. You could not hold it back. And you're absolutely right. What was the evidence of Enoch's faith? He walked with God. He didn't run with God. He didn't try to get out ahead of God. He walked with God. It is all about the walk. Verse 22, then Enoch walked with God. Verse 24, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. It's all about the walk. So how's your walk? How's your walk? Paul said in Colossians 2, verse 6, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude, just walk. Maybe you've heard that Christianity is not a sprint, it's a marathon. Wrong. It's a walk. It's a step by step long patient walk of faith. Galatians 5:25 If we live by the Spirit, let us also run crazy and, no, let us also walk in the Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 7 For we sprint by faith. No, we walk by faith, not by sight. 1 John chapter 1 verse 7 If we run haphazardly in the light as he is in the light, See, it doesn't work, does it? If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. It's hard to have fellowship when you're running. Seriously, how many sprinters are hanging out and having coffee on the track during the race? When you're walking with a friend, you have fellowship. When you're walking with someone, you have time to interact and, and share life together. And we walk in the light as he himself is in the light and we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' His Son cleanses us from all sin. Why? Because walking is tied to faith. Why is this idea of walking tied to faith? Listen, listen. Think of the last time in Genesis that we saw someone walking. Genesis chapter 3 verse 8 tells us they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves. Why was God walking in the garden? Because God wanted to be with Adam and Eve. Because he loved them. He cared for them. And up until that point, they trusted him. They wanted to be with him. We see God coming to man, walking. Because a walk is about relationship. Faith is about relationship. That is the Father's heart. A trusting, faithful, walking relationship pleases Him. Religion doesn't please Him. And and that's what what we're hammering away at here with this whole idea of faith. I want to take a sledgehammer to the religious mentality that thinks of faith. Like it's robes and hats. And incense and candles. Faith. It's trust. It's a walk with God. We're going to see this throughout the scriptures. Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. Genesis 17 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to me, said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. And that's been this week for Pastor Rick. Okay, let's strip away Pastor because that sounds religious. That's been this week for Rickles. (laughs) So my father-in-law calls me. That's been my week. I have not had the strength to run or to fly. But I'll tell you what, I have had the strength to walk and I have not grown weary. Cheryl is walking and she is not growing weary. So, do you understand what I'm saying? It's relationship, it's trust, it's time with the Lord was laughing this morning with staff a little bit that I've already been saying, look, we really don't expect a whole lot out of everybody at the Bridge Christian Fellowship. All we ask is Sunday morning, Wednesday night in a small group. <laughs> and most of you would go, you right. I am good to be here tonight. Don't push your luck, Rick. Is it really that much to ask to walk with God? But we are so, man, we are so programmed for constancy. We live in a world that's fast-paced and moving and you've got to keep up and the, the news cycle is not even 24 hours. It's moment by moment. Check your news app. Check it now and then don't do it but I'm just giving an example. But if you check it now and then you check it when we're done tonight, it'll be a new headline because we got to have it now. we got to have it as fast as we can move it. Come on, let's go. Let's get it done. we got so much to do and then we find out in the long run we're really not doing anything. Sorry, I'm on my soapbox, but man, relationships are suffering in this world. And when God comes along and says, walk before me, walk with me, walk alongside me, we go, "Ah, that sounds great, love to, love the idea of a walk, sounds actually very healthy, but I don't have time. (laughs) Do you know that, that Jesus' ministry, primarily when he was in the Galilee, And in the Gospels, we see mostly Jesus in the Galilee, and then we see Jesus in Jerusalem. His ministry in the Galilee consisted of all the different little cities and townships around there, but three are primarily listed in the Gospels, Capernaum, Chorazin, and Bethsaida. And if you look at your little Bible map in the back of your Bible, you'll see Corazim and Bethsaida and, and Capernaum, and they're all pretty close. They're up at, you know, uh, just off the Sea of Galilee. And you go, okay, well, that yeah, I can see him just going beep,
1: beep, 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 beep.
0: If you go there, and you go to Capernaum, and then you want to head up to Bethsaida, got to get on the bus, weave your way around, and 15 or 20 minutes later, by bus, you can get there. And then from there, if you want to head over to Chorazin, you get back on the bus and twenty or thirty minutes more, and eventually you'll get to Chorazin. And when you're there on the ground and looking at these three towns, you're realizing it's a good day's walk between each one of these villages. And that's what Jesus did. We're in Capernaum. Hey, let's go to Bethsaida. <laughs> That's okay. hey, let's hang out there Hey, guys, let's go to Korazin.
1: <laughs>
0: Wouldn't you think, I mean, if it was me doing the planning, and, and I, I've tried to share with God, I've got some good ideas if He'll just listen to me. Wouldn't you think that even showing up in the time where we had motor scooters would have been a better idea?
1: <laughs>
0: Jesus, you could have gotten so much more done. He walked with those 12 guys constantly, teaching them, exemplifying before them the grace and the love and the mercy of God and what it meant to trust, what it meant to be in a relationship with God. He just took forever to get from one town to the other for 12 guys and 11 of them got it. If you've ever wondered how in the world could the apostles be prepared for worldwide evangelism in a three-year crash course. It wasn't a three-year crash course. It was a three-year walk. They just walked. And then they would go down to Jerusalem. <laughs> I mean, that's like two hours by bus. they take days walking down. What were they talking about? I can't wait to find out the dumb things that Peter really said. <laughs>
1: Enoch walked with God
0: because a walk is about relationship and relationship is faith. And that pleases God. You know what's really cool in all this? I was reminded of it today. I was making the comment, you know, I, I get that my relationship with God blesses me. Why does God want to be in relationship with me? And then Jake Jake said, well, I go for a walk with Judah, his, his seven-year-old. I go for a walk with Judah and I get so much out of that. And he's right. God loves to walk with you. Sons, daughters, you make his day. It pleases him. So Enoch walked with God. Did I mention Enoch was a prophet? Enoch the prophet. Jude verse 14 says Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam. So here he is, seven generations in. And by the way, that's interesting. That's interesting. Jude declares that Enoch is in the seventh generation. So for those who would try to expand Genesis 5 and say there are more generations hidden throughout, Jude calls out, well, that was number seven. I'm just putting it out there. That Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, saying, quote, earliest prophecy on record. Jude quotes what Enoch said. Behold. The Lord came with many thousands of His holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds which they have done in an ungodly way of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. Enoch was a prophet who prophesied judgment. Now hold on, listen to this, verse 25, Methuselah, his son, Enoch named his son Methuselah, and Methuselah lived 187 years, and he became the father of Lamech. And then, verse 26, Methuselah lived 782 years, after became the father of Lamech, and he had other sons and daughters, so all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. Oldest man in history. Methuselah. 969. That's that's the number to remember. The the number of the oldest man. Methuselah was a PK. Prophet's kid.
1: <laughs>
0: Named by his dad. Now this is what's fascinating about Enoch, the prophet, who we already know prophesied judgment. God bringing his judgment. And then he names his son. Firstborn son. Let's call him Methuselah. And I'm sure his wife looked at him, at him and went, What? What? It's like my father-in-law wanted to name my wife Wolfgang. (laughs) What? I'm so glad he didn't. I cannot imagine. Good night, Wolfie. I don't... (laughs) Enoch was the first prophet to prophetically name his children. Others would follow. Hosea. Hosea chapter 1. Had three kids, all of them, and you can read that in in that book of prophecy, three kids with prophetic names. Their names meant something that was affecting or impacting Israel, and he named them for that prophecy. God said, I want you to name them this. And then Isaiah, he had two kids both given names that are prophetic names in Isaiah chapter 7 and Isaiah chapter 8. I'm not getting into those names, there are two other, too many other important ones tonight. But Isaiah said this, Isaiah 8, verse 18, Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given Me are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. One more thing tonight, parents. Have you ever considered that your family might be a sign from the Lord? That you and your children might be used of God? To bring faith to another family or another person? You know, and when it comes to naming kids, I would love to be able to go back. Because when we first started, Corey, we named Corey, Corey. Because we like the name. I think it means like out of the woods or something like that. So that's a good thing. Corey's out of the woods. (laughs) You know, and then Hannah came came along, and I I always liked the name Hannah. Cheryl loved the name Hannah. We had a little girl who was our. our flower girl in our wedding and her name was Hannah so Hannah just sounded like a good name later on I said oh it was for biblical reasons we named her Hannah we just liked the name Hayden came along you know for those of you who used to watch the show the show Coach Coach, yeah. Wasn't it Hayden Fox? Was that something like that? Am I right? Yeah. Am I messing up names? I've done that before. I one time... I'm totally rabbit trailing here, but so what?
1: <laughs>
0: I one time confused the hale Comet
1: <laughs>
0: in front of a room filled with teenagers. I called it the Halle Berry Comet. They didn't know what I was talking about. Anyway... I have no idea even where I am. Oh, so Methuselah is a prophetic name. That's the whole point of this. And you and your children may be prophetically used by God. Consider that. If you're about to have kids and you're going to name them, think about that. Lord, what do you want to name these? And even if you've already named your kids and you're a family living and growing and experiencing life together as my family is. I'm for the first time, and man, it caught me late in life realizing my family could have an impact on others. The way we live, what we do, we could actually be used of the Lord as a family unit. So I better treat them well. Methuselah means man of the javelin. Now some of you have heard some of these names before and you're like, that is not the name that I heard. Well, it's one of those names that, because there are no vowels in the Hebrew, it's only consonants, it depends on what vowel you stick in there. It's whether you say Methuselah or Methuselah, and so Methuselah would mean man of the javelin or man of the spear or man of the, of the sprout. It could mean that. Methuselah means in his death it shall come. The year of Methuselah's death was the year of the flood. Enoch was prophet. The roots, by the way, the reason why I believe it's in his death it shall come or it shall be sent. If you go to the roots of the word and, and break that down in the Hebrew, the root word of the noun muth means death. And the verb shalach that means to send forth. Death will come. Or as he dies, it will come. In his death it will come. And because we know Enoch was a prophet, Jude tells us. So we now have, we have overlays of history. We can look back and say, okay, he was a prophet. He prophesied judgment. He had a son he named Methuselah. Methuselah can mean in his death it shall be sent. And we know the year of Methuselah's death, the flood covered the world. I think we have the right name there. Because the first global judgment did come. It was sent like a javelin puncturing the water canopy above, causing that global, worldwide flood, the first water burial, if you will, of the entire planet. Now, with a name like Methuselah, wouldn't you think everybody would have been keeping an eye on him? What's his name? In his death it shall come.
1: How you feeling
0: today, Methuselah? You okay? You all right there? You look a little tired. Can I get something for you? You know? Methuselah's on his deathbed. Really? Like, get ready. Get ready. You know what's amazing? Nobody was. Nobody was. For 400 years, Enoch prophesied. For 400 years, Enoch prophesied. And, and well, three hundred is sixty-five? He's caught up. But for 969 years, this message was being given to the world. This constant message, in his death, it shall come. In his death, it shall be sent. And I guarantee you, though I cannot prove it, but I guarantee you that Enoch explained this to his generation. There is judgment coming. How do you know that? Behold, he said, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all. So everybody should have known, should have been ready. The flood was not a surprise, my friends. It was prophesied about, it was warned of far ahead of time, but no one was listening, and history is repeating itself. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 37, For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. And listen, get this, understand, he's the oldest man ever to live. Why? 969 years. Why? Grace. Grace grace. God was giving the world every chance. He waited as long as possible as I told you before until we got down to eight people on the entire planet. And then God said, I can't put up with man any longer we can't let this continue and history is repeating itself right now second peter chapter 3 just listen to this you can turn if you're a quick turner but second peter chapter 3 verse 3 peter said know this first of all that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking following after their own lusts and saying where's the promise of his coming Forever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. No, it has not, because in his death it came. Things have not just rolled on since the beginning of the world. There was a massive global flood, and science and geology and archaeology has all shown, and every culture on earth has a global flood story. So we know it came. We know it happened. We know a massive judgment hit this planet since the beginning. And Peter says as much. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men but do not let this one fact escape your notice beloved that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like one day the Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness but is patient towards you you know what we could say God's walking because when God walks we can catch up to him we can join him. If God was running, you wouldn't have a prayer. But he is patient with you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And Enoch's prophecy through the naming of Methuselah confirmed at that time the validity of his prophecy as quoted by Jude. Now don't miss this. The fact that he prophesied the flood in naming Methuselah in his death it shall come, and it did validates what he said would happen at the end of the world. That the Lord came with many thousands of His holy ones. And we know that that is the last time's judgment and not the first judgment because the first judgment, the Lord did not come with many thousands of His holy ones. His saints. The church. He will. And when that day happens, Armageddon. The judgment... Involves the coming of the Lord with the saints, the church, like Enoch, having been raptured, coming back with the Lord at that time. And by the way, one last thing here. I told you I'd answer this earlier. If, quote, with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like one day, listen, Adam lived 930 years and in fact he did die in the day that he ate the forbidden fruit according to God. See, a day for you and me and a day for God is different. For God, who is not bound by time at all, He is the I Am every day. It could be a thousand years go by, it's like a day. And a day is like a thousand years. God said, in the day that you eat of it, you will die. From God's perspective, Adam died that day. Within that thousand years. So, Methuselah, a prophetic name from a prophetic father or a prophet dad... Methuselah fathered Lamech. This is a different Lamech, and by the way, a different Enoch than those who were in the line of Cain. They're they're the same name, but different men. And so he fathered Lamech. We pick that up in verse 28. Lamech lived 182 years and became the father of a son. Lamech's name, same meaning that we saw on Sunday of a different Lamech. It means powerful from a human perspective. Despairing from a divine perspective remember remember that linguistically it's a compound word so you've got another compound word put together to make a name La meaning to or toward and muk meaning brought low or humiliated and from a human perspective to bring other people low makes me powerful from a divine perspective to be brought low makes you humiliated which is what happens to powerful people because pride comes before the fall It profoundly describes a man who, in his powerful pride, is brought low to despair. Verse 29, now he called his name, Lamech, he had a son, called his name Noah, saying, This one will give us rest from our work and from the toil of our hands arising from the ground which the Lord has cursed. Lamech named his son Noah as a name of hope. Noah's name means comfort. Or rest. Comfort or rest. For all those called by the name of the Lord, this remains a graveyard of the dead. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15.22, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits. After that, those who are Christ at his coming. And then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father when he has abolished all rule and authority and power when he puts down the powerful men and they find themselves in the place of despair. The graveyard of the dead. Can can you imagine meeting up with some friends and saying, hey, we're having Bible study Wednesday night and we're going to meet at the cemetery. Let's do Bible study in a cemetery. We just did. We just did. That's Genesis chapter 5. And I think, what better place for a Bible study? Because light in the darkness is that much brighter. Life in the midst of death is that much more glorious. The gospel in the graveyard, which is Genesis chapter 5. And it's worth doing a little grave digging here. The Bible tells us, Proverbs 25.2, that it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search out a matter. And so we search. And in searching out these names, gravestone to gravestone, you Bible students know, we discover something absolutely beautiful, that the Gospel is right here. The Gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, Luke's generation of Jesus Christ reminds us that he is, Luke chapter 3, verse 36, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Kenan, the son of Enoch, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. So they're right there in the genealogy of Jesus. You've just read it. You've just read the first ten generations of the genealogy of Jesus Christ in Genesis chapter 5. Think about it. Everyone in this lineage died. Except for Enoch. Christ's genealogy is an even bigger graveyard than this one. Because aside from Enoch, everyone else in the lineage reaching to Jesus, everyone else died. And guess what? So did He. Jesus had a tomb. You would have had to visit quickly because it wasn't there long. He didn't stay in the grave. And so we know this. Here are the names. Man. Appointed. Mortal. Sorrowful. The blessed God shall come down teaching or dedicated. And in His death it shall come to the despairing comfort and rest. So in lining up the names and the definitions that we've been through tonight, we read and see the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what I call rest in peace. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this toldote. This record of what happened. Because what we recognize, Lord, is what happened in the line of Adam was ultimately the birth of Jesus and the hope of eternal life such that Father when we have tragedy when we have loss when there are gravestones to deal with and memorials to be established and had even in the midst of that Lord we are those who walk by faith and not by sight we are those who walk with you every step so that a walk even through the graveyard Father is not discouraging We have hope, and we are filled with the hope of eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Lord Jesus, we praise You. You are the blessed God who came down. You are the Holy One who came dedicated in teaching. And to the powerful brought low, to those in despair, You brought comfort. You ultimately give us the greatest of all possible rest. Jesus, help us walk with You. Some of us have been running. And some of us have been really stressed. Some of us have been in a hurry. And then on the other side, Father, there are some who have been just lagging behind or rabbit trailing off in all directions. I come right back to Les's prayer earlier. Draw near to God and He will draw near to You. Lord, may we take after the character of an Enoch who walked with God Lord may we better take after the character of Jesus who walked everywhere he went sharing relationship Lord I I, I pray for tonight I pray for tomorrow as we go to our homes as we rise to a new day Lord would you remind us tomorrow to walk just to walk through the day and to seek you because the nearness of God is our good. And we bless the name of Jesus tonight. And it's in Jesus we pray. Amen. If you're having trouble walking, maybe you've got a limp, maybe you need a crutch. Well, Jesus is a great crutch. Maybe you need some help slowing down. we can pray together, we're here to do that. Or you can just grab someone in your row and say, pray with me, i got to slow down. But I hope we do. Enough to be aware of the Spirit of God in our lives, walking with us, leading us, teaching us. May faith increase because relationship increases. But if we can pray for you about anything, I invite you to come forward and and get some prayer while we stand and sing. Let's stand up together.